Amen. Um, this morning, I do ask that you pray for me as I stand before you. And I want to look at the subject, I guess you'd say a subject or a title of the sermon this morning. And we'll talk about death, sorrow, and comfort. Death, sorrow, and comfort. I hope to look at those three subjects this morning. You know, I don't know about you all, but especially my death is not something I like to think about very often. Um, you know, things that are unpleasant, we don't like to think about those things, right? As we'll see later, without a biblical perspective, uh, I don't know that there would be a way to think, it, to think about your own death, or the death of a loved one. But death is one thing that we will all face one way or another, right? The Lord tarries. Um, we will all return to the dust of the ground. That's what the Lord in Genesis chapter 3, God told Adam that, that He made him from dust and one day He would return to dust. Um, so even if it's not us, we have loved ones that pass away, we have friends, we have family, church members. Death is all around us. It's something we all face. So whether you're old or young or rich and poor, it doesn't matter. Death is common to all mankind. Um, it's just a part of life. And, you know, it's not a fun subject to talk about, so I thought I might tell you what I believe is a humorous story this morning. I've told some of you this. And I say this not just for the humor, but to show you that even the smallest children understand a little bit about death. Death impacts their life. Um, and I got Brother Bo's permission to tell this story. I want you to know that. I've started asking for permission. And if I don't get it, then I start, I offer ice cream. <laughs> um, when Bo was about three years old, we noticed that he began to call a coffin. We didn't know what it was at first. We passed, um, we, we passed the cemetery on 119 right over here, and he said, look at all the trunks. T-R-U-N-K-S, trunks, you know, the coffin that would be there. Um, and he began to call them trunks. And I don't know how he figured that out, but it does kind of look like a trunk, doesn't it? We have a trunk in our bedroom. Um, when, when my wife's grandmother called her granny, she passed away. She loved the color green. So she had a green casket. And after the service, he asked his sister, did you see granny's green trunk? <laughs> Um, I remember when Sister Margaret McDade passed away. Now, he's three at this time. I went, I went back to, to make sure uh, how old Bo would have been uh, at this. He was about three years old, and he didn't go with me to this funeral. You know, we've never tried to hide funerals or, or really shelter our children from that because from an early age, you need to learn <laughs> that that's part of life, right? Um, he didn't go with me to that particular one, but I took part with Brother Sam and Trustful in her service, and as I was walking out the door, he said, take a picture of the trunk for me. <laughs> um, he was just, that was just something that caught his attention. It was trunks and garbage trucks. That's what Bo loved when he was three years old. And, and Bo had, a, a, in his speech, he couldn't, there were certain sounds like the cuss sound he couldn't make. So when the garbage truck would come by, it was always the garbage truck. <laughs> And he couldn't say trunk, really. He would say trunk. And so I guess about three and a half, four years old, 
uh, we enrolled him with a speech therapist to help, you know, just get that, those few syllables that he couldn't, he couldn't say correctly, uh, get that fixed. And the way that would work is Carrie would take him. Sometimes I'd go and they would go into a large room with the speech therapist, Bo would, and she would play with him and she'd work with him and, and they'd do different exercises, but the parents could sit behind in a smaller room. There was a two-way mirror. So you could always see what was going on. And I wasn't there that particular day, but, um, she showed him a picture of a tree and Carrie's watching all this. And she says, Bo, this is a tree trunk. Can you say trunk? And, and he's trying. And then the speech therapist says, Bo, there's cars have a trunk. Have you ever seen a car trunk? And she says to Bo, she says, some people keep their groceries. They put their groceries in their trunk or they put their baseball equipment in their trunk. Carrie's watching this through the two-way mirror. And she looks at Bo and says, what do you and your family keep in your trunk? <laughs> and as serious as he could be, he looked her in the eyes and said, dead people. So there's a list somewhere, <laughs> and our family is on it. Um, that's been a long time ago, and they haven't come to our house yet <laughs> to get the kids. But um, that just shows you that kids get what happens, right? They see it. As we think about death, we have to first remember that man, we are not just a body. You see my body today, right? That's not all that we are. I see your bodies today. I don't see your soul. I don't see your spirit. But there's more to you than meets the eye. And there's more than, than me to me than meets the eye. In Genesis chapter 2, it says that the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. He gave him a body. He, he molded a body for mankind, for Adam. But then it says that he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. There's something different between us and, and the other and, and, and the animal kingdom or the animals of this world. We have a living soul, right? We have a spirit in us. Listen, I want to read to you from First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. Latter part of that verse, Paul says to the Thessalonians, I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, You have a spirit. You have a soul and you have a body. And he says, I'm praying that the Lord would preserve all of those things. In the book of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, we can read, the writer of Hebrews says that the Word of God is quick. This is verse 12. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. He says it's, it, it divides, it separates even the soul and the spirit. I can't tell you, I can't, I can't, I can't begin to explain to you what's your soul and your spirit. We could, we could talk about that, but you know who, you know who can? The Lord God, right? It says, if you're wondering who that, that word, the word of God here, what it's talking about in verse 13, it says, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. 
This is Jesus Christ that he's talking about here. This is our high priest, as he would go on to say that we have this high priest that is passed into the heavens. Uh, G- Jesus can determine between your soul and your spirit and your body. What I'm, I'm making the point here is that you're more than meets the eye, right? So as we begin to talk about death and sorrow and comfort, um, you know, what happens when you die, right? What, what happens? All of us are going to face that. What happens when you die? I want to listen. Listen to this. This is Genesis chapter 25 and verse 8. It says, Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years. Then there's a semicolon and it says, And he was gathered to his people. I like the thought of that, don't you? I like the thought that when I pass from this world, when I give up the ghost, that I'm going to be gathered unto my people. And I don't think that just has reference to some cemetery or a burial plot where they put Abraham's body. I believe when he gave up the ghost and he died in that good old age, he woke up in the presence of his people. You think about who is that for us? That's our church members, our family members. I believe there's, there's people that we will see again when we part out of this world. But you know who, you know who I believe Abraham saw first is, is Lord Jesus Christ. Um, when in in, in uh, Romans chapter eight, this is verse twenty nine. It talks about the foreknowledge and the predestination uh, that God has employed in the scheme of salvation. It says that He had predestinated that we could be conformed to the image of His Son, who might be the firstborn among many brethren. Our the first the firstborn among our family, Jesus Christ, is there waiting for you. I believe that. Do y'all? When you wake up in heaven, when you pass from this life, in Philippians chapter one. The Apostle Paul says in verse 21, For to me, to live is Christ. He had dedicated his life to his Lord. But he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. <laughs> we, we grip to this world, and that's just part of human nature, but sometimes we don't have this mindset that actually to depart from this world is to be a gain. <laughs> that, that real living and real life begins at death. You, you wake up in reality with your Lord. He says, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I walk not. For I'm in a strait betwixt two. (laughs) He says, I'm in this difficult situation or this difficult position. He says, I have a desire to depart. And what happens when you depart? He says, and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. He said, I had this desire that I would depart and that I would be with Christ. In 2 Corinthians, he makes the statement that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we, we learn from Scripture that as we, you know, as our one writer, I can't remember who it was, put it that when our body is no longer fit to house the spirit that God gave it, we pass from this life. And our spirit goes back to the God who gave us that spirit and that soul, right? Who breathed life into us. Um, in the book of Luke, chapter 23, I believe it is. In the book of Luke, let's start in verse 39. It says, One of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him. That is on Christ. Christ is being crucified. Now there's two criminals who are being crucified on either side of him, and one of them is railing upon Christ. And he says, if you are the Christ, or if you be the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering and rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God, seeing that you are in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive 
the due reward of our deeds. But this man, speaking of Jesus, has done nothing amiss. And this other malefactor looks to Jesus and he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Truly or verily, I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now that man was going to die a painful death upon a Roman cross. But the Lord says to him, they, they, would, they would cast his body uh, among all the other thieves, I assume. Or maybe someone would take his body and do something with it. But although his body would remain on earth, the Lord Jesus says, today you're going to wake up in paradise. Do y'all see that? His spirit was going to depart and be in a place that is far better. So when we think about death, uh, when we think about what happens to us, what happens to our loved ones when I die or when they die, yes, your body may remain, but your spirit that comes from God wakes up in the presence of your Lord. Isn't that comforting to think about as we talk about death and sorrow and comfort? And we'll get some more of that today. But let's talk about sorrow for a moment, because when you have a biblical perspective about what happens at death, and you can keep that in mind, you're really not that worried about the one who has died, right? We all understand that they are better off. To die is gain. To be in a better place. But yet it's sad, isn't it? And we sorrow. And that's appropriate. That is appropriate to do those things. Uh, on, on January 28th, it was a Tuesday in 1986, President Ronald Reagan was supposed to give his State of the Union address to Congress. But that morning there was a, we all, yeah, many of you know this, uh, that, that morning there was a space flight, a shuttle that was supposed to take off after many delays. It was the Challenger space shuttle. And the world had become captivated by those who would be on that shuttle and by those who were, uh, were going to take this mission. And it was something like 73 seconds into the, into the liftoff, flames erupted, and on live TV, you saw the whole crew lose their lives on live television. And it erupted into flames and it disintegrated. And so President Reagan decided that he would give he would postpone the state of the union address for another week but he did address the nation from the oval office and here's how he started that address that night he said ladies and gentlemen i'd plan to speak to you tonight to report on the state of the union but the events of earlier today have led me to change those plans today is a day for mourning today is a day for mourning. So when we lose loved ones, it's appropriate to mourn, right? It's appropriate to sorrow. Even though we know they're better off. Listen to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 1-4. through four. It says, A good name is better than precious ointment in the day of death and the day of one's birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men and the living will lay it to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. Listen to that. The sadness of the countenance of the heart is made better. The, the, the way we're designed is that sorrow is the therapy that your heart needs to get better. Do y'all see that? You could put on a smile and you could put on an act in times of sadness. 
That's not going to make your heart better, is it? You have to go through a grieving process. And that's what it says. It says it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. In the book of Acts, chapter 7, the first Christian martyr, Stephen, is killed. And he sees the Lord Jesus Christ uh, right before he goes into glory. But in, in Acts chapter 8, in verse 2, it says this. It says, devout men carried Stephen to his burial. So here are devout men. Here, here are church-going people like you and I. People touched by the grace of God. They got Stephen and they carried him to his burial. They knew he was in a better place. Y'all understand that? They knew that Stephen was now better off than they were. Stephen had had courage. Stephen had seen the Lord Jesus Christ standing up for him as those that, that ran upon them, that were cut to their heart, that gnashed on him with their teeth. They, they, had, they had witnessed this. They had seen and they knew that Stephen was better off. But as they carried him to this burial, it says they made great lamentation over him. That, that word lamentation means mourning, sorrow. It says they made great lamentation over him. It, it, it carries a connotation of beating upon your chest. If you look this word up, lament, the, the word we, we translate to get great lamentation. Have you ever been in a situation whether it's the death of a loved one or, or any, any situation where you're just, I've been there, you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do, but you just cry out. That's where they were. And these were devout men. What I'm trying, the point I'm trying to get to you today is that, is that when we face death of a loved one, of a friend, of a church member, or whatever it may be, although we know they are better off, it is natural and right to sorrow over that loss. That is the, that is the therapy that your soul needs. In John chapter 11, you have Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and they're, they're of Bethany, and Lazarus is sick, and Lazarus dies, and Jesus is not there. And so Jesus begins his, his march towards Lazarus and Mary, Martha. Lazarus is now dead towards Bethany. And it says in verse 32 Then when Mary was come where Jesus was, he's made his way to him, to them. Well, look, we'll go back to verse 31. So the Master has now come. And it says, The Jews uh, which were with her went into the house and comforted her when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out and followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. She's sorrowing. She's great lamentation, great sadness. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw Him, she fell down at His feet, saying unto Him, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come see. Verse 35, it simply says, Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold, how he loved him. It says that Jesus wept. 
Now, I have heard theories upon why Jesus wept. Um, I've, heard, I've heard several. You know, some believe that, that Jesus knew what he was about to do. And he was about to bring Lazarus, who had been dead for four years, back to life. And that he, he wept for Lazarus. I've heard that. Now, I'll be honest with you. If I'm Lazarus and I've been in heaven for four days and I get the call that you got to go back to earth, I wouldn't be too happy with y'all. But I don't believe that's why Jesus was weeping. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 15, it says to rejoice with them that rejoice and to weep with them that weep. I believe what Jesus was doing is He was troubled in His spirit. He was, he was a man just like us. You remember that, right? He was all God. He was all man. He experienced uh, the feelings that we experience. And it says that He groaned in His spirit and He was troubled. And when He saw them weeping, He began to weep Himself. I believe Jesus is living out that Romans 12-15 verse. You know, if you see someone who is rejoicing in something, the best thing you can do is rejoice with them. And you say, that's so easy. Is it really easy? How many times somebody got a promotion at work or got a new car or got a new this or they're rejoicing over something that's happened to them and your natural inclination isn't to rejoice with them but kind of be jealous over what they have or think, how did they get that and I didn't get that? It's hard to do that, isn't it? But just as we should rejoice with those who rejoice when we see those who are sorrowing and, and lamenting and groaning and weeping over something, the best thing you can do is to weep with them is to weep with them. Sometimes you don't know what to say, right? When somebody's going through something or there are times that you've all experienced, right? You don't know what to say. Well, the best thing you can do is just enter into their sorrow with them. Job's friends were doing okay until they opened their mouth. Go read about it in the book of Job. Then they become miserable comforters. We're, we're praying for the Harrison family. We I was thankful to be a part of that funeral this weekend. I thought uh, this Friday, I thought it was a sweet funeral. And as the family had gathered at the church, myself and Brother Donnie McPherson, who, who preached the funeral, handled the funeral with me, we were sitting at the back. We wanted to be there for the family, but you know, you don't want to be, you want to be there, but you don't want to make your presence known. We we're trying to, Sit in the back. And, and as I watched the family, I mean, Wayne and Karen, and Daniel and Seth, and Lindsay and Andrew, and Evelyn, and, and, and the Harrison family did what was natural, right? You mourned the loss of a dad. And those are my people, right? Y'all are my people. Everybody here today is my people. And I hope I'm your people. When I pass from this earth, I think I'm going to be gathered to folks like you. <laughs> I look forward to seeing my people again one day. <laughs> but I leaned over to Brother Donnie. I was trying to keep my head down. And I said, Brother Donnie, don't think less of me, but I'm about to cry. <laughs> and I just began to cry because that's just what you do. It's part of the process. My best friend, one of my best friends died when he was 35 years old. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I walked into the church and his, his, his widow was sitting on a stool, and as she saw me, she stood up. And I didn't know what to say. But she began to cry. And we embraced. And we just cried together. That's all I knew how to do. I believe that's what Jesus is doing right here for His friends and family. 
And guess what? When you're crying today, you know your same Savior is that same Jesus, right? And I like to think about that He cries with me, that He knows what's bothering me, that He, he weeps for me and with me and empathizes with me. He is a high priest that's been touched, uh, that's been touched with the feelings of our infirmities. <laughs> he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Go on in, in Hebrews chapter 4, we talked about earlier, and read about that. And there is a high priest that we can go to when we have, when we need mercy and grace in our time of need, and we can boldly come before His throne, and He sympathizes with you. Isn't that amazing? To think that the Lord Jesus Christ knows what you're going through, and He's there to wrap His arms around How many of you can testify today that you've been in a situation where you felt the presence of the Lord among you. It didn't take away your sorrow, did it? It didn't take away your pain, but it helped you get through it, didn't it? That's what the Lord was doing here for His friends, Mary and Martha. So I hope we can see today that it is right to sorrow when we go through the loss of people that we love. But I want to now close by looking at what I talked about this morning, comfort. What's the biblical perspective, the lens by which we should, we should view death? And, and we've talked about that your spirit, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. The spirit that the Lord has given you returns to God. Your soul departs from this life and is instantly in His presence. But even for your body, that's not the end. Isn't that amazing? Um, in our Articles of Faith, I wrote this down. This is our seventh Article of Faith here at Vestavia Primitive Baptist Church. It says, We believe in the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. That is, that the bodies of all who die will be raised at the final wind-up and consummation of all things. I love how clear how clear the men who wrote this article were. They say, we mean by this that it is the body that dies and it is the same body which dies that shall be raised from the dead. The bodies of the saints will at the resurrection be changed, made spiritual, immortal, and reunited with their souls and taken into the glorious presence of the Lord and their happiness will be unending. I love the way that's written. And so as we close today, I want to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Brother Sam Bryant is the pastor of this church for many years and one of the mentor in my life. I can hear him saying it now. He said it might be a good idea to memorize the latter half of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 because it'll probably be read at your funeral. <laughs> and so we're going to read that today and go through that for just a moment. The Apostle Paul, writing to this church, he says unto his brethren, listen, he says, but I would not have you to be ignorant brethren. That's his people. That's his brothers. That's his sisters. That's his family. United in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I would not have you to be ignorant. Paul was saying, I don't want you not to know or not to understand something. And it's going to be concerning them which are asleep. You know, the Bible talks about a lot of times those that pass from this life that they go to sleep, that they are asleep. Y'all like that better than... It means they're dead. 
But the Bible understands and, and the Holy Spirit understood and the translators of this Bible understood that death uh, is not the end all be all, right? That you're just asleep and one day you're going to wake up. <laughs> and he says, I, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not. He doesn't say that you don't sorrow, but that you do not grieve, you do not lament, uh, you're not sad like those, even as others, which have no hope. You know, there are people today that believe that this world is all there is. <laughs> that when you pass from this life, it's over. There's nothing else for you. They have no expectation of a future good. That's what hope is. They believe there's nothing hopeful beyond this grave. And, and Paul is saying there were people 2,000 years ago that believed that. There are people with a worldview today that believe that. And he's saying, I don't want you to be mournful and sorrowful as those who have no hope. Can you imagine if you believed that there was nothing beyond this grave when a loved one passes away, how would you survive? Most of them mask it uh, with different things. And we won't go there, but they, they, there, there are those that have no hope. And Paul says, I don't want you to sorrow like them. It's okay to sorrow. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to be sad. But we don't do it as those that have no hope. For if we believe, this is a life of faith, isn't it? Everything, everything is, is, is impacted by what you believe the confidence that you have in your Savior. And he says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. He says He's bringing them back. For this we say unto you by the Word of the Lord. Now if it was the Word of Brother Josh today, you, I would hope you, you might believe me, but I, don't, I, don't, I can't tell you a future things, right? I don't, I don't know what's everything that's going to happen unless it's been revealed in the Word of God. And he's saying this is trustworthy. This is a trustworthy statement. You can take it to the bank because it's not Paul's words or Peter's words or the preacher's words or an angel's words. This is the Word of the Lord. He's saying this is, what's, this, this is the truth about what is going to happen to those that have fallen asleep. And if us, if we pass from this world before the Lord returns, this is what will happen with us. It says this is from the Word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain... Unto, unto the coming of the Lord. That's the, that's the advent of the Lord. When He comes back from heaven to this world to get His people, He says, we which are alive and remain until the... You know, we think a lot about the first advent of Christ, right? Christmas time, correct? Um, I, got in the, I got in the car the other day and there was a Christmas song on the radio. <laughs> Carrie said she went to Walmart yesterday. They were playing Christmas music. Um, y'all heard of the war on Christmas? That used to be a big social issue, right? Do you say happy holidays or Merry Christmas? I wrote this down. I saw this yesterday. It said the war on Christmas cannot end until Christmas stops its illegal occupation of November. <laughs> it's kind of like you go, you trick or treat. And then you go right into Christmas. <laughs> you know, it used to be people would wait to put up their decorations till the day after Thanksgiving. I won't take a poll. That could split the church the way it is now. I won't take a poll <laughs> about how y'all feel. I'll tell you how Brother Josh feels. Let's give Thanksgiving his due. <laughs> We're having a Thanksgiving meeting here a couple of weeks. Um, you know, it just seems like you jump now. It's probably an indication of our society. You know, I think it's in, the, in Romans chapter 2. It says, neither were they thankful 
one of the hallmarks of a reprobate society is no thankfulness. <laughs> probably just want to skip over Thanksgiving. That's probably a, uh, probably a reflection of our society. Um, but we think about the first advent, right? A lot. And we decorate. And You know, if Carrie was to come to me tonight and say, I think it's time to decorate for Christmas, <laughs> I'd say, yes, ma'am. <laughs> Because, fellas, there's some battles you don't want to fight, right? But I would want to wait. Um, and, and ladies, if, you're, if, if your man's upset with you decorating for Christmas, you might have picked the wrong man if he really cares that much about how the house is decorated. <laughs> but what if we focused on the second advent a little more? Because <laughs> he's coming back again, right? The first time he came... He was meek. He was lowly. And that's part of who he is. But he was born in a manger. There was no room for him. The, the world rejected him. He was poor. And then he heals the sick. He raises the dead. And he, he goes about doing good, as Peter said. And what do they do to him? They crucify him on a Roman cross. But guess what? When he's coming back, y'all think about your Savior coming back. When he's coming back, he's coming on a white horse with angels <laughs> and in flaming fire, it says in, in 2 Thessalonians. He's coming back victoriously. You know that? Why don't we think about His second advent a little bit? He says that we that we're alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, we shall not prevent them which are asleep. We will not precede them. We will not go before them. If you're alive and remain until the Lord comes back, you're not going to have any benefit that those that have been dead for a thousand years will not receive. We're all going to have the same benefits and the same experience when Christ comes back. Do you see that? He says, we will not go before them. Matter of fact, they're going to rise first. <laughs> it says, for the Lord Himself. Listen to, listen to verse 16. For the Lord Himself shall descend. He'll come back from heaven. <laughs> Don't you love... You know, when, 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 when you were in need of a Savior, you know what the Lord did? He came Himself. <laughs> Don't y'all love that? He came Himself. And when, you're, when, the, when, the, when the process and the end of time comes that we're to be glorified, you know what? The Lord's not going to send an angel or your loved ones that have passed on. He's coming back Himself. He loves you, doesn't He? Himself. It says, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. He says he's coming back with a, that, that word shout means a, an order, a command. It's the voice of God. It's a stimulating cry. Go look the word up tonight. It's a stimulating cry. In, in John chapter 5, verse 28, it says, Marvel not at this. When he's talking about the new birth and the voice of God, and that's um, you know, the sovereign grace of God or the Holy Spirit that, that goes in to, to regenerate his children. He says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear His voice. Now that hour has not come yet. But Jesus is saying here that there is an hour coming which all that are in the graves will hear the voice of the Son of God and, and it says, and shall come forth when they hear His voice. That's that victorious cry that He's going to make when He comes back from heaven. And when they hear it, they're coming forth. Those that have done good under the resurrection of life. You know, we, we looked at John 11 a moment ago where, where Jesus came back to Bethany to, to be with Mary and Martha. 
And, and as he wept and he empathized and he sympathized and he consoled those that were there, he didn't end there. He went to the tomb and he asked them to roll the stone away. Y'all remember that? And he prayed unto the Father. He said in verse 42, he says, and, and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when Jesus thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice. <laughs> that sounds kind of like that shout, doesn't it? A loud voice. Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth. <laughs> now Paul is telling the Thessalonican church, he says, there's coming a day when the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. And when He comes, the dead shall rise. You know, there's coming a day if the Lord tarries that I will be in the ground, but then there's coming a day that the Lord will shout and I will rise. Y'all look forward to that. That's why Paul could say, he, he would say things like, Oh, death, where is thy victory? <laughs> he would say, He would say, Death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? And he would say, He would say, Thanks be to God or Jesus Christ, which giveth us the victory. When, when, when it looks like, see, death to the world looks like the end. They thought they'd had Jesus, didn't they? When they put him in a borrowed tomb, it looked like they had won. But three days later, he was back on his feet, wasn't he? When our loved ones, we put them into the ground. Yeah, it can be sorrowful. And, and to those who have no hope, it looks like the end. But there's coming a day when the victorious Savior will make a victorious shout. And, and you, will, you yourself will be victorious over the grave because of what your Savior did for you. Isn't that amazing? He says, then we, verse 17 which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. See, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ for the child of God is nothing to be afraid of. Matter of fact, in verse 18, as he closes out this thought, he says, wherefore, comfort, console, Comfort one another with these words. I hope whether it's today, if you're grieving today or in the future when we're touched, once again with death, I hope that these words of the Apostle Paul through the Holy Spirit will comfort you. And I want to sing this morning number one, number 110. Isaac Watts wrote this song, or it was a poem, in 1719, based on, I believe it was Psalm 98, but with a New Testament view. And if you read many hymn histories about it, I don't, Isaac Watts, it became popular, very popular. We sing it at Christmas time, right? As a Christmas carol or a Christmas song. After his death, it became popular, but... If you were to ask Isaac Watts about it, he didn't write it about the baby in the manger, but about the conquering king who was coming back at his second advent. That's really when the world will have its joy, right? So Brother Joshua, if you would, if you'll start number 110, and we'll sing that together. 
And if you'd like to unite with this church, you can come forward and let your desire be known. Number one, two. Sing and the